Boston College loses a commitment on Wednesday evening, and I'm going to explain why this isn't that big of a deal. I'll explain why this is probably something that was going to happen and really isn't a sign of any big, massive thing to come. All of this and more on today's Locked On BC. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On BC. AJ Black here. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, we have two big things we're going to talk about in this show decommitment for BC football, I'll explain a little bit about what happened and why I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I want to look at some of the things that BC could do to be more successful to end the 2022 season. So, on Wednesday evening, St. Francis Academy edge rusher Brian Mook Sims announced that he is decommitted from Boston College. He told Brian Doan of 247 Sports, who I work with, and uh, he is one of the first, I think, in a long time of decommitments for Boston College. Now, Sims, he's been committed for a while. He's an edge rusher. He's, you know, St. Francis Academy is one of the best programs in the country. I think they're ranked uh, by Max Preps, either two or three uh, right now. And, you know, they've had a ton of players that have been committed or connected to BC. So when you get a guy like this and this happens, Boston College fans rightfully always go to the chicken little. Is the sky falling? Is this due to BC playing poorly? Is this because Halfley is losing control of the recruiting trail? No, it's not that. I promise you, this is not a... a, this is not one of those situations where a guy um, is looking at the program and going, oh, they're not playing well. This is something, you know, but whatever. T- I've talked to kids. I've talked to recruits. So this is not me just spitballing here, here, folks. Sims, he's been getting a lot of new uh, interest. He's, you know, he's on a program that gets a ton of interest. And he plays for a school. Well, let's just face it, folks. St. Francis Academy, the players there. They are very popular around the country. They are very popular and are pushed to try to get the best program that they can get into. So not to say that their players are, are less ethical or anything like that. Definitely not what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is, you know, they're going to look to see to get what's best for them. And so Brian has been getting more offers. He's I saw him getting connected to a bunch of different new programs He's just doing what's best for him. And like he does these certain players, they don't, you know, they, they commit, but they're not, they're not going to, as many of you have said, they do not, you know, until they sign on the paper, they are not like wedded to a certain school. So you'll get players that have offers and they're like, once they get committed to BC or another school, they are completely locked into that program. Some players don't. And I think the players coming out of St. Francis Academy seem to be a little bit more, you got to kind of watch where they're at to see what's going to happen with them next. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they're doing what's best for them, right? But back to my point again, this to me has nothing to do with BC's on-field product. 
this is more these guys get these offers, they get these options, and they go for it, okay? And I don't see this as like the first domino and this huge list of of players that are going to decommit from Boston College. I don't see that happening. You may get another player. Maybe it's another St. I mean, they got two more St. Francis kids there. Could be another one of them that maybe like, you know, some of them have had connections with other programs. Maybe they go someplace else. But I don't see this as like an avalanche waiting to happen. This is not like a, a domino of Jeff Halfley losing control of his program and all the recruits are going to go someplace else now. Just take a big deep breath, folks. Okay. I mean, just two weeks ago, Brian Sims was a guy. A lot of folks were like, why was he con- committed to BC? Other than he's a St. Francis guy, he has no rating. He's taking, he's tanking our, our team ratings. So they've got other guys on the burner. You know, they've, you know, I said on Eagle Insider last week, if you're a premium subscriber, I'll get, you can get the names on our site that there were 2023 guys that are still coming that BC have not uh, had commit yet that visited during the Clemson game. And as much as the fans don't like what the outcome of that game was, the, the recruits see something completely different than what fans do. They saw a team out there battling one of the best teams in the country. And on to credit you, the fans, they saw, especially against Clemson, an awesome atmosphere that game. That's a big thing for a lot of recruits is the atmosphere. They, they you know, the, the end outcome of 31 to three that, yeah, of course, if like you're an elite recruit, and you're like Samson Nukan Lula, but he's not coming here. If you see that kind of thing happen, like, yeah, that can be depressing. But for most of the guys BCs are going after, they're seeing a fan base that is absolutely jazzed up because that the, to, to the BC fan credit, they did it. They got that place rocking with a really special atmosphere that night. And those kids are going to see that. So that's what they see more than, Oh, BC lost 31 to three or whatever fans think of Jeff Halfley, because the recruits don't see the same things as fans do. I'm going to say that a million times. Okay. It's a different world out there. Now. Yes. This loss does sting BC a little bit. This is the second St. Francis Academy recruit BC has lost in the last two classes. Remember, um, what was his name? Jamal hood defensive back last year. He decommitted with like two weeks before national signing day. And I don't know what the issue was there, but um, he never ended up there and he ended up anywhere. I think he actually moved to a different school and is doing some post-grad work up in Connecticut, I believe this year, but it's part of the game folks. If you want to play with the big boys, if you want to recruit at a higher level, then decommitments happen. It's just part of the game. If you want just to get guys that want to be at BC, go for it. You can go out there and get those guys too. But if your whole class is just guys that want to be at Boston College, I'm going to tell you right now, your recruiting class isn't going to be very impressive. You need guys that may look other places, guys that you have to battle. Because remember, Jeff Halfley, yeah, he's losing recruits right now. He lost, I'm not losing recruits. He lost a recruit right now. One again. But he's done it in the past where he's pulled kids from other programs. Bryce Steele, he pulled from South Carolina. CJ Burton, he pulled from Florida. You know, there's other ones out there I'm not thinking of at this moment. But he's brought, um, oh, Casey uh, Finney from Michigan last year. I know he retired, but you've you've had guys decommit to come to BC too. So there's still two months left until that early signing period. 
BC is busy right now evaluating kids on their senior season tapes. So you're going to see guys pop up that maybe weren't guys we've been talking about here on Locked on BC because they hadn't had the tape that BC needed to, to give them a committable offer, but they could be coming down the pipe. So I, you know, again, end of the day, this is not the end of the world for Boston college. It stings like every decommitment does, but don't let this fool you into some bigger indictment of the program. Cause that's not what it is in a moment. I want to talk about what BC football can do to turn around uh, the season because it's halfway through and there's still some things BC could change uh, to get this ship right on track. But betonline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all of your latest player developments, team matchups, news podcasts, and in-depth and articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. You like Major League Baseball playoffs? You can go out there. Don't look at me for baseball playoffs because I had early season um, World Series odds on the Mets and the Blue Jays, and both of those tanked. But if you are better at baseball, it's a perfect time to get onto Bet Online right now and check out some of the odds that they have because you can do game by game, end of the season. There's tons of different ways that you can look at it in Bet Online. It's a lot of fun, too. The fastest and easiest way of checking on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf, head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Go over to Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, Locked on BC. And we are getting into uh, football. But first, before I do that, I want to thank each and every one of you that have made Locked on BC your first listen every morning. We are the only daily Boston College podcast. I am I am crazy about this. I don't know why. I'm going on year three. We're, we're finishing year two of Locked on BC. And I know some of you have made this a, a daily routine to check this out. I want to thank each and every one of you. If you're new to this, I also want to welcome you. We talk about BC sports five days a week in in season for basketball, basketball and football. Usually I get a little break in June and July, but I love doing this. So thank you all for listening. And we're your team every day here on the Locked On Network. So check us out. Thank you. All right. So football, we sit in BC sitting at two and four right now. They have Wake Forest, North Carolina State, Duke, UConn, and Notre Dame and Syracuse to end the season. So this begs the question. The season has been, let's just face it, it's been disastrous to start off. You know, this was a team that many had as a dark horse, as a potential ACC Atlantic, you know, um, threat. I don't think there were many that thought they'd be as good as Clemson, but a team that could have been a challenge for a lot of, a lot of teams on their schedule. And now they sit at two and four and things look bleak. Things do look bleak for this program right now for the rest of the season. So what does BC need to do? Because it's only halfway through folks. We still have six more games left that they could actually turn this around and change the narrative from this is a disaster of a season. I mean, CBS Sports, again, have their bottom 25, and there's BC at number 25. How can BC get themselves out of that and into a better shape heading into 2023? Well, first of all, the easiest thing, and the one that everyone here probably continues to say to me, they got to start winning games. 
that's 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 a number one, and that's very simplistic. We, I mean, obviously, if BC starts winning games, their season starts to turn around and everything. Yeah, right. But what does that mean? Well, I said on yesterday's show, one thing that they cannot do is lose to UConn, because I again will say. A season in which BC loses to UConn and Rutgers is about as close of a complete disaster as you can expect. And UConn's playing well. You know, they got Jim Mora Jr. They've won, uh, what, three games now? They're on the verge of potentially getting themselves into bowl season, which is a big boost for a program that has been completely dead for over a decade. Now, BC's got to worry about that. They got to win games like that. They cannot lose to, to UConn. But I think again, if you agree, if you believe in the statistics, as Mitch has, Mitch Wolf has said, if you have not listened to it, Mitch is on our show on Mondays, that the offensive line has progressed. It's hard to see it because sometimes you're saying, "Oh my gosh, Jacoby's getting killed back there," and against Clemson, it's really hard because Jacoby was getting killed back there. But you're playing against an otherworldly defense. But the, the offensive line is starting to trend in the right direction. Now, they've got two weeks between now and Wake Forest, so they can continue to do that. What I would love to see, what I would love to see is for this offensive line to, to continue to progress. Because if it continues to progress, you know, winning is simplistic, but also getting decent offensive line play is simplistic enough to say that that will help everything else on this team. If Jakovic can get back there and 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 have time to make his reads and get the ball out without getting you know blindsided and destroyed every pass he goes through for, the offense is going to start clicking. The offense starts clicking. The defense doesn't have to stay on the field as long. Defense does not stay on the field as long. They can sustain drives. They can run the ball. We haven't you know the games that they've won. They've been able to run it. Can they continue doing that? So. Again, just getting that offensive line to continue taking steps forward. And that's a big, that's a big if. That's a really big if. Because not only do they need to keep progressing, they gotta stay healthy. Um, you know, Finn Durstein, we don't know what his injury status is. Um, you know, I thought I saw Drew Kendall get banged up in the game. He seemed to stay in there, but who knows what, you know, sometimes guys just tough it out through that kind of stuff. Um but they need to stay healthy. They need to, the same guys. You can't, they cannot afford to lose Drew Kendall, Bozzi, Trapillo, guys like that. Um, it, it, when they get to tougher games like Syracuse and, 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 and Notre Dame, like you need them there. So the progress on the offensive line is going to be a major factor. And of course, there's that wild card that's still sitting out there tweeting and tweeting and tweeting. And that is Christian Mahogany. He has made it a fun job of trolling BC fans all year about whether he's coming back or not. Jeff Halfley in his press conference a couple of weeks ago said, yeah, we'd love to have him back. We don't know. Um, and, and you expect that the coach is never going to give it away if he's going to play, but you get mahogany back. And all of a sudden there's that jump that you need your offensive line to take, because you can, you can roll out there, you know, with, Durst, hopefully Durstein, Kendall, Trapillo, um, and then Jack Conley, I guess, and 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 be okay. Uh, Jack Conley con continues to concern me, but that's what you got to do. What we got to do right there, right? So that offensive line play will 
there that will indicate because every game on the schedule other than Wake Forest, which is a which is gonna be tough. I'm gonna tell you right now. Uh, Sam Hartman in that defense, I mean, that offense on Wake Forest is, is, is really good. I mean, they put up what 50 points against Wake Forest at Clemson. They're going to be a major issue for BC. But what I'm thinking here is that if the offensive line can continue to progress, you could look at, you know, winnable games. And we're going to get into that in our final segment. I'm going to look at what kind of outcome statistic wise bc could you know get to and and a potential outcome that could really end the season on a positive note and instead of having the season end with a a a a floundering end of the season something actually people can look forward to get to that in just a moment locked on bc aj black here thank you all for subscribing uh to our our youtube channel if you have not done so already Please, please, please make sure to hit that subscribe button to subscribe to, to Locked on BC on YouTube. We're doing podcasts here and I do it live around the same time every night, uh, Monday through uh, Sunday through Thursday. If you hit the little bell, you'll know when I go live. I love getting comments. It really helps. Uh, it, it's fun to get you guys involved. So if you want to get involved and, and listen to these live, just hit that subscribe button. It, it And even if you're not, Hit the subscribe button anyways. Honestly, folks, it does help our podcast like get up. I was, I've said on a podcast last week, like if you look up Boston College Sports, we're like the second or third uh, result after like BC Athletics and BC Football. So we're, we're getting there. Um, and I love to get continue to build our, uh, get our exposure out to more BC folks out there. So I say, I said the offense, offensive line improvement is a major indicator of where BC um I apologize. I have had a cough all day, so if I drop off a little bit, it's because I'm dumping out uh to cough. Um looking at the offensive line, and it was being simplistic, but it's it's what I believe. I believe that if the offensive line fixes itself, the rest of the program could get itself into better position. But like it say things start to improve and BC starts to get more competitive and we start to see them play better. What are some outcomes that could turn this season around? And there's many different things that could happen um, to, that could really tur- make BC, uh, you know, get some momentum heading into the off season. And I'm not naive enough to say right now that they're going to have any chance against wake. I said, wake, wake is going to be tough because they're, they're speed. They've got Sam Hartman. They're the, you know, the bat just like Clemson was the best defense they played. I think Wake Forest has got the best offense that they've played. I'm not even going to consider that game in this discussion here because I think it's going to be an almost an automatic loss for the Eagles. But looking at the rest of the season, you have games that I think are winnable. Like you go out there and okay, so they're two and four right now. You go out there and you beat UConn. Please, please, please do not lose to UConn. You beat UConn. You host Duke on a on a Friday night, and Duke has been playing well. They can run the ball, but are they dynamic enough on the offensive side to to put BC away? No, it could be just another type of that Rutgers game. I think Duke is exposable. I think that especially again, you go back to does the offensive line improve? Yes, you answered that. If BC can move the ball, I think they can beat Duke. There's four and four, four and five right there because you're going to consider the Wake Forest a loss. All right. Here's where the end of the season 
could get interesting. Notre Dame has played the toughest schedule on the, in college football. I forget who I saw that on. It was some major site had their the, the the rankings of the toughest schedule, and they're what three and two right now. You don't get many chances. Just like last year when you went to Clemson and you almost beat Clemson, you don't get many chances to get Notre Dame off right now. And you have Notre Dame off. Now, Drew Pine, their quarterback, he seems like he's starting to get things together. But you could still go to Notre Dame and stun them. Again, if the program and the offensive line continues to move in the right direction. Now, would you take a nice win over Notre Dame? I'm sure you would, because that would be a major victory. BC hasn't won in, what, 12, 13 years against the Fighting Irish. Winning again in the in the Catholic rivalry would be a major step in the right direction. You add that in with a win against NC State or Syracuse. Syracuse, you get at home. And yes, Garrett Schrader beat you badly last year, but it's the end of the year. Maybe BC gets healthy. Maybe BC starts to put things together. And then they win against Syracuse. Maybe Syracuse is ranked. You add in a ranked win in there. You end the season at five and seven. Is that the best that you could hope for? No. But is it a positive? Sure. And guess what, folks? At five and seven, depending on how the ball, uh, the the dice, the numbers fall, excuse me, BC could end up still bowling. And I know fans out there are rolling their eyes. Why the heck is this team eligible to go to a bowl at five and seven? Well, folks. One of the positives about BC is their APR. That's their, uh, you know, the graduation rates and all that good stuff. They're high on that. So if the bowl season ends and they need teams to fill slots, BC at five and seven could be one of those teams that could be available to get them. And they'd be near the top of that list. So you could, and I could see people's faces turning bright red as I say this, you could go five and seven, go to some bowl, play like a conference USA team. Cause whatever bowl you're going to get to is going to be a bad bowl. And it's against a team that no one cares about. You could win that and then be six and seven heading into next year. Now, would that make you excited? Probably not, but I said it before and I'll say it again. The bowl season is good for this program. They're good for the f- program as much as some fans hate it that there's too many bowls because you get the practice. This team is you've all said it to me. You say in the comment section all the time, BC needs to get the young guys going. They need to get some more practice in blah, 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 blah. You get practices. If you go to the bowls, so they could get some extra practices, which would be good because I'm going to also say that if they go to the bowl game, I would, if that was the, if this was to ever happen again, this is all theoretical stuff. It could never happen. Maybe they just fall apart and it doesn't happen or they go five and seven and then all the bowl spots are filled. Who knows? But if they make it there, I guarantee you Zay flowers won't play. Cause I'm going to guess he's going to get ready for the draft. Wouldn't be surprised if Phil Dracovic doesn't play. I don't know what he's doing next year, but you know, he may just sit it out. So you're going to get all your young guys out there and all that time that you've been asking for, which I can get into on tomorrow's show. But what, what should you do with the youth at this point? Um, you could get that answer there. So that's my thoughts. So six and seven in a bowl game. I mean, it's not the worst. I mean, you were, you'd hope for more like, as I said, eight and four, but six wins with what where things are at right now. 
doesn't seem like the worst thing given how bad that offensive line has played all year. But again, there's a lot of football to be played. There's a lot of things that we have yet to see answers for. And we're going to have to wait to find that out. All right. Um, I said I was going to be on tomorrow's show. Uh, I think I get one day off a month and I have not been good about taking it off, but uh, my voice has been absolute garbage. I've been having allergies all week, so I'm going to not be on tomorrow. I'm going to take Friday off. It's all bye week. I need my bye week. So I will not be on until uh, Monday. But one quick question came up in the comment section. I want to get to this really quick before I head out. Colin Sweeney said, at what point would it be worth starting Moorhead if Jakovic keeps struggling, or is it worth it at all? It guarantees Jakovic doesn't return next year, and that's tough on Zay. Is Moorhead ready? So um, this is a question. Thank you for asking that, Colin, because I think a lot of folks have been asking this. I am not on the board. I, I, I kind of made it clear a little bit earlier when we we're talking about what quarterback should be for next year. I don't think Moorhead's ready. I really don't. And um, I don't think throwing him out there is as beneficial as some folks do. Because as you saw, Jakovic is, he's a tough, like, forget about what's happened this year. Jakovic is a tough dude. He played last year with a with a still hurt hand. He played with a separated shoulder against Syracuse. He played with a bomb something. I forget what happened later in the year. He's he's played hurt a lot. And he got he looks like a shell of himself because of that offensive line. Now he is an established quarterback that started for three years. You're gonna throw a red shirt freshman out there that has not played meaningful football in like three years other than a few garbage time starts for BC. I think that would be really detrimental to the development of Emmett Moorhead at this point. I don't know what you'd get out of that, that you wouldn't get out of having him working with the second team out of practice because getting him hit and not trusting that offensive line, if that's what continues to happen, I get what you're saying there is just going to damage his psyche and make him more, reactive and less sure of himself. I don't think it's a good idea. Um, I don't think he's, he's, he, I would not do that right now. I would keep Jakovic there all season, but that's just my thoughts. Um, we'll have to see what Halfley does. All right. Thank you all again. I'll be back on Monday as we start to prepare for wake forest game, uh, getting going on, uh, that kind of prep. And we'll have Mitch on to talk about that matchup. And, uh, can't wait to talk to you then make sure to follow me on Twitter at AJ black underscore BC. I am the editor and publisher of BC uh, Eagle Insider, part of the 247 Network. Make sure to check out my work there. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Take care, everyone.